everyone and welcome to Game Spot Gameplay. As you may notice, I am not Kevin Van Ord. He is busy doing thief work. I'm Tom McShay, so I'm filling <laughs> in today, and we have a couple people to join me. I got Chris Waters. Hey, Tom. Hi, How's, everybody. How you doing, Chris Waters? I am. F I had a burger and a malted milkshake for lunch. So you recently started a live stream show. I did. Yeah, uh, multiple players on Tuesdays. Every it's Tuesday, like 11 p.m. 11 a.m. Man, 11 this, ain't, this ain't a late night show. This ain't a late night show. Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, we play video games, and we'll have a new episode uh this coming Tuesday at 11 a.m. And also playing some PVZ Garden Warfare on Monday afternoon. Oh, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. That's pretty exciting. So we also have Justin Haywald, who is our senior senior news editor. We I, brought you in October in November, or yeah. November? At uh, Justin Hardcore Gaming Haywald from one of the channels that I recently opened up. But I'm really surprised that you just outed Kevin Van Ord for his thieving. Yeah. That the he's, reason he's not going to be here is because he's a thief. He's been doing a lot of thieving recently. He's, he's a known thief. He, Yeah, with his hands thusly all the time. Like, this is what Kevin Van Orr does now. Yeah. I mean, it's he, so far so good. I mean, he's not he's not gotten caught. Like, he's not no. in jail or anything. He's not He's not in jail. I but haven't he seen is... a wanted poster with his face on it around town, so I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he does right. spend a lot of time stealing hearts. Oh, yes. Okay, so with that, we're going to start it <laughs> off. There is there is a huge news story this week. Irrational Games, who have been around for 17 years, they made System Shock 2. I thought you were going to say Flappy Bird. They made Bioshock. They made Bioshock Infinite. Did they have they a made hand SWAT in 4. Flappy Bird at all? They are winding down, according to their like creative head, Ken Levine. I mean, a lot of outlets, and us included, basically said they're shutting down. Yeah. His, his exact wording was winding down, but winding down from about 120 employees to 15. Yes, so a lot of really talented people are going to lose their jobs, which is a well, shame. have lost their jobs. Have lost their jobs already. <laughs> it's over. Um, they're done. Just, just shortly on that, like we have seen people come from Irrational and do great things already. Uh, most mm -hmm. notably last year was Gone Home. Um, so hopefully there's the talented people find... Places in this well, and, and they just shipped a, a hugely successful yeah. game. By, by I mean, by any metric, uh, they're they're not going to have trouble getting placed in another studio. I mean, that's what these guys look for when they're trying to hire new developers. Is like, have you shipped a game? Yeah, they should buy a shotgun. Might have heard of it. That's <laughs> <laughs> a little thing. Uh, so, I mean, my first question is: Irrational, for all intents and purposes, is gone. What is their legacy? How did they change the industry in the seventeen years that they've been around? Not at all. Not at all. This is what, this is what your thought? <laughs> no, of course, of course, they had a huge impact. The Bioshock is is a lot of people's favorite games, um, and and, and, I, and as many problems as Bioshock Infinite had, I know that you did not enjoy that a lot. It 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 was a lot of it was a really fun shooter, and, and it really I feel like pushed narrative in, in in ways that not a lot of other developers even can do that. I mean, he he takes a really artistic bent. He takes yeah. he takes attack that. A lot of other AAA shooters, like they, they just kind of go straight out for fun shooting, and he goes for like a story and tries to whether whether he was successful or not, and and I think a lot of ways Bioshock was a failure, but he tries to tackle tougher subjects. Yeah. So Chris, like I I, I consider them an auteur studio. Mm -hmm. they, now, they, what do you mean by auteur studio? Like is they, that like autistic? Like that Ken Levine is the auteur at the head of the studio and it all yes. sort of falls downhill from his sort of core main vision. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit more later, but yeah, I okay. mean, it, it seems like, I mean, they have a, an artistic focus on their games. Mm -hmm. So they, they are no longer going to be a triple A studio. If, if, if Ken Levine's team is still irrational, we don't I mean, know. What does triple A mean? They're no longer going to be like the 150 person team that takes 
four years and cutting edge hardware, like all that and other hundreds stuff. of millions of dollars. They're scaling back the size and the scale considerably. Sure. Like, how do you think that impacts the AAA industry as we know it, not having this kind of studio there anymore? Uh, you mean, mean, well, you know, I feel like the impact might be that, like, here is a studio that, uh, you know, has made some critically acclaimed games uh, yes. on countless Game of the Year lists, like multiple iterations of this game, and certainly hugely influential in terms of design and content for first-person shooters, but also just games in general. Seeing that that, that endeavor, like, go kaput? Like, does that... <laughs> d- did they fail? But, I mean... Bioshock Infinite's all well. Like, are they are they a financial failure? Because that sends huge warning signs, right? In terms of the AAA model. But if it's not that they are a financial failure, it then why why are they dissolving? Is are they like an institutional failure? Like they just couldn't come together. I like, mean, when when you say it, failure, it, I think it really has a lot more to do with spending so much time making something like this, and, and that's just mm-hmm. the model of games these days, especially when we're going to Xbox One and PS4. The the development time, the development teams needed to to make something on that same level yeah. are mm-hmm. probably even larger. The budgets will need to be larger. Uh, that's just not something that I think is as supportable, and that we're going to see smaller teams making different experiences. But and and I think our definition of AAA is going to change because of that. I think so too, and especially you know, I think one of the things that uh, developed certainly Epic Games has talked about is with next gen uh, consoles and you know these this hardware the the kind of software it can run the kind of game development software it can run requires less people less processing time less time to create richer worlds to create like better graphics to create all sort of the 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 baubles of a hallmarks of a triple a title so you know as sort of technology and this software advances can a team of 15 people put together something that, you know, stands toe-to-toe with a Bioshock Infinite? Of course they can. Absolutely, and they have been, you know? A team of four people have made wonderful experience. I mean, Gone Home was a team of, what, like four or five people? Yeah. And I, you know, it's, of course, not on that same level, but it was also a much shorter experience, but that was equally powerful in some ways. Minecraft. Minecraft, Min- yeah. <laughs> Minecraft is made of one person. So it's super, yeah. So I think that, you know, this is, it's not so much that, like, the, I think that Irrational Studios is setting this sort of uh, phasing down, this sort of shutting down is is just showing us a new path that developers can sort of chart through the industry, right? You know, we've seen, we've or on a different scale, I guess, because we've seen people, you know, move up in the world, they join bigger and bigger developers, and then they're working on that huge game, and that, like, makes their career, and then they can work on their next huge game, and yeah. huge game, and huge game. But a lot of people do that huge game, and they're like, okay, well, that was super intense. Uh, I don't know if I can handle that. And I think that it's nice to see this kind of, diversification of career path for a game developer and if i was a game developer you know obviously having 100 people laid off from a studio is not heartening but having high profile developers sort of investing like saying no this smaller team this is actually a better way to go is like seems more heartening to me in terms of the diversity of future job opportunities and and in some ways we've seen this coming for a while i mean mean, you can never guess when so many layoffs are going to hit but we've seen more b-tier c-tier developers kind of being phased out like there there really are no c-tier b-tier games anymore it's either very low budget put together very quickly or these huge large budget triple a games and of of course that's something that's going to happen less and less because there's just not the time and, and money when you when you can do really amazing experiences with smaller teams on a faster cycle well of course that's going to win out over 
spending three years and millions and millions of dollars. That is very true. So just just going back a little to irrational is so I mean a lot of the conversation and myself included uh, we're talking about how we were excited to see what Ken Levine's going to do next because he's you know he's he's kind of brilliant in some ways. Um, do you think we give too much credit to Ken Levine and similar? Heads of giant AAA studios, or do you think yes. that it's appropriate? Yes, yeah, no, one hundred percent. Like, I, I mean, that's that is the way that we think about things. It's really easy to have like this is the figurehead. Ken Levine is Bioshock. He is the creator. But I mean, that's silly. There are hundreds of people that go into making these games, just like movies. When you finish a movie and at the end you see the credits roll, and you're like, oh yeah, that was a Steven Spielberg movie. Like, well, no, it was all these other people. So, uh, so I went to as, as an example, I went to the Star Wars behind the scenes thing uh, this weekend, and. And, you know, we think of George Lucas as, as having created this world. And, yeah, he had a large part in creating the wonderful episode four, five, and six. But when you have the, the behind-the-scenes guys talking about it, the people that actually made these models, that made it work, it was not just George Lucas. If, if he didn't have this amazing team of industrial light and magic, these people putting these models together, finding ways yeah. to make them fly through space, the, the movies would have been crap. They, they would not have survived just on the power of his script. And so, but that, you know... And that's obviously true. You know, whenever you have a huge team, everyone's pulling together. And certainly the leadership matters. The leadership, the creative vision, that artistic vision, that is an important role on the team. But it's a role on the team. The converse of that is we do live in a culture of celebrity and of we want to give one person credit for it. We want to admire one person. We want to put them on a pedestal. We want to be like, oh, this is a Shinji Mikami game. Like, I'm totally down with this. Like, And to a certain extent, that has... You know that has value in in sort of your from a from a gamer's decision point. Like it, you know, you kind of know what something coming out of Naughty Dog is going to be like. But that even Naughty Dog, you know, like is Neil Druckmann? Like that's not even that's not one of those studios that has the one name. Oh, it's Neil top. Druckmann and Bruce Straley. Yeah, it's those two guys and, and Amy Henning also. Yeah, but, she does the Uncharted. So stuff. there's three. You just named three people, yeah. not one. You know, like uh, I think that it's interesting to see. You know, it's interesting just sort of cultural reflection of where games are to see these kind of, you know, figures emerging and becoming discussed more. And, and you know, I think it's just sort of, just sort of a natural progression into pop culture is that you try to sort of pin it to Cliff Blazinski or Shigeru Miyamoto and stuff like that. And, you know, I think it, it it's kind of cool to have those names, to have those, mm-hmm. those single names well, because then... I guess real quick with yeah. this, because we have to wrap this up at some point, but the reverse <laughs> to that is, like, Derek, you made Spelunky. And, and Ed McMillan uh, and, and Tommy Reminis. made Super Meat Boy. Yeah. And Jonathan Blow made Braid. And it's like, so clearly this is their creative vision, and it is realized on screen, and there's very few other people who helped, if any, at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you argue that Ken Levine, Ken Levine his vision is Bioshock Infinite, and he had other people to help with the art and help with the music. But this is his vision on the disc, on the screen, that that's what we're seeing? When or do you think that's a, still too much credit? When you get to something of that scope and that magnitude, I, I, some of that has to fall apart. Like, you do, you rely on your, your cinematographer, like, okay. for, to use the movie example, yes. you rely on your cinematographer to find these scenes. To, and they're, they actually have a really big part, even though you're, it's your idea in the first place. They have a big part in how that movie looks. And or how you it write the out. script, and the actors are the ones who actually give it the weight yeah. and the yeah, emotion. Terrible actors can make, can break a movie. Okay. And you have studios like or Rockstar. Make it if you're Tom McShay and you love terrible movies. Or you're Tom Cruise. You just make every movie. I love Tom <laughs> yeah, Cruise. that is true. But like, like, think about Rockstar. I mean, we know Sam Hauser because he's this crazy reclusive guy, <laughs> but Rockstar Studios themselves never have a 
front-facing spokesperson for the game. Like, there is no Grand Theft Auto spokesperson. Yeah, it is the always the collective. Blizzard doesn't really have that. Um, I don't know who made Half-Life 2. There's a few studios who were just mm -hmm. like, no, it's a team effort. And there's other ones where it's like, no, Shigeru Miyamoto, he's been making everything by hand for the last 30 years. Which, is, which raises the interesting question, how much are these people created and encouraged, sort of cultivated as a PR move? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're stu if you have, oh, if you're not just someone coming from Irrational Games, but you're like creative founder and creative director Ken Levine, his vision, like that's the one that people are going to want to talk to on their show. That's the one that people are going to want to mm -hmm. yeah. attach that to, and that's that's the thing that's going to be able to like drive that, maybe elevate that PR cycle into a into more more mainstream. Like if mainstream media can get their hooks into it, they're not just going to want someone to come on the PR team to just come off and show the game. Yeah, that They're going to want that head, that person to talk to. That's that's. I mean, Suda Fifty One hasn't directed games since No More Heroes Two, but we always talk about Suda because he's everything with Grasshopper. So yeah, it is true. Yeah. Um. So there's another story this week that's all that's kind of a non-story right now, but I thought it, it could be interesting. So Amazon, Amazon has a set-top box coming out, um, and it's going to be like Apple TV probably, and it's going to come out rumored to be in March, and it's basically going to stream. Hulu and Amazon and all that other stuff to Netflix. your television. Netflix. All, all, all that good stuff. Crunchyroll. I was going to, I couldn't think of what Crunchyroll was. Voodoo. <laughs> um, and it's supposed to also use the Android architecture. So it kind of sounds like it could be uh, like the a, next. Could this be the next Ouya? Well, it's like the the Kindle Fire, the except it plugs your TV. <laughs> Isn't so there Ouya too? There's yeah. a Ouya too. So it, made, it just made me think about like so many games now. Are being made for the iPhone and they're being made for Android and make for PCs. And you know, you know, people really want a way to play those on their TV. I yeah. they've spoken loud and clear. The Ouya is so incredibly <laughs> oh, popular. Oh, you and sarcasm. I, you know, I I hate having the be, to be tethered to my phone. I really want to sit down on my couch. I need that small screen experience on the big screen. <laughs> I so my question was, if you have hardware that is relatively powerful, and you have it so it so it's in 900 million people's homes. Is it possible that we have a step towards a one console future where games are all that matters and not necessarily the hardware, or the tech, or proprietary medium behind it? Or do you think that is still just a pipe dream that is not even worth dreaming about? Uh, it's going to happen. That That is... You one think there will be a one console future? No, no. Well, I mean, the thing is the the console is just not going to matter. I, I That would be like saying there's a one TV future. A lot of people are going to keep making TVs. It, the way that we interact with it is going to change. But I think, yeah, eventually the way that we think about consoles is going to go away and it's going to be something that we're able to access really easily. I mean, Sony wants to do this. They want you to just access games from your TV. You don't have to worry about purchasing a different box. You yeah. just go into your TV, access Netflix and all of the PlayStation library. But that is still proprietary because you still need to have a Sony something or other to access these games. Somebody wants to make money from this. There has to be there has to be a gatekeeper. And there's going to be a gatekeeper because businesses. Okay, so, so you believe that there will always be some sort of proprietary format, but it will just become more widespread. Well, so uh, talk to me about the, the, how this, how Sony, like, so like, let's take PlayStation Wait, Plus. Let's just say PlayStation, PlayStation Plus is from, you know, 10 years in the future, you just have a PlayStation subscription and you plug your TV into the internet or you plug, you have your whatever box. Hollow box. Yeah, and you buy a controller from Sony. And that's all you buy, and then it's all digital. It's stored in the cloud. It's streaming to your TV. What, that's is the like, plan. Is that what you're imagining? No, I mean, that so is you're what... Cutting out the, are you cutting out the console, or is and it is it just fully streaming directly into your TV? Because TVs now they have, like, processors everything. on them. They have Ethernet jacks. Like, you mm -hmm. can, like, you can get Amazon 
instant video on your TV directly, why do you even need that set-top box? So, well, the PlayStation Now that I used when I was at uh, oh, GD, at CES earlier this year, that was coming from the TV. I mean, I have no idea what bandwidth they were using. I don't know how far away their, their actual systems were, mm-hmm. but they, that was only a TV and a PS3 controller, and it was streaming The Last of Us. It, they were already cutting out the console, and that is i mean that's really cool that is not that's not the future that's really <laughs> that's, soon that's, that's now the present <laughs> yeah and it's just how far are they going to be able to take that how how big can our infrastructure how much of our infrastructure can handle that like, so that that is a streaming service am i right yes so yeah. i guess that's the big question is is i don't know if if america which has great internet compared to most of the world can even handle like well, streaming all, that kind of stuff for it. As we saw with yeah, the Xbox the One, infrastructure is not there. So then that goat raises the question. So we're we're probably gonna be sold hardware for still ten more years at least until our mm-hmm. internet is good. So I mean, do you expect hardware to still be like PS4, where it is like bleeding edge, or do you think hardware is gonna keep getting scaled back because we don't really need that kind of technology? Yeah, it's such an expensive proposition to get into to making the these this hardware. I, I think this could very well be the last. I I don't know. I'm I'm just kind of making this up but this could very well be the last regular console that we see and they're going to make this last as long as they can and hopefully within you know eight years the infrastructure is big enough that the people who would spend money on it at least will be able to get access to those games and everyone else will be using the last gen console okay so chris i mean there's when people talk about like the end of the consoles which is what people are talking about right now sure uh it's usually a portent of doom and gloom how do you think that life, gaming life, will be better when this inevitably happens? How will it be better? How will it be better than what we have now? My living room will be less cluttered. <laughs> I, I mean, it will. If you don't have the hardware, then you don't have that extra cost of entry, like Justin was saying. You don't have that extra expenditure. So theoretically, you're making it more affordable. Now, of course, you also have to have a TV which displays these things, and those are expensive. Everybody's but, got a TV. But yeah, this. You know, TV is kind of standard, yeah. right? Especially, you know, if you're that if gaming is your hobby. Uh, in terms of like production pipeline and stuff like that, if you have no console, you have no discs, and if you have no discs, you have no brick and mortar retailers, uh, except for used sales, maybe. So well, we've seen that doesn't affect prices that that much. I mean, people <laughs> people still pay sixty dollars for a, a digital download of these games. Sure. Nintendo and Nintendo has said openly, like, yeah, we could charge less, but we're not going to because that cheapens the experience. Yeah, and but then again, you know, we've been paying fifteen, twenty bucks for premium downloadable experiences mm-hmm. for how long now? Five years, maybe a little more. Mm-hmm. What happens when we've been doing that for ten years? What happens when that that price point because comes as i mean it's already as ingrained as the 60 but like you know as you're continually doing digital purchases and as places as as sony and microsoft are trying to encourage you with like day one digital download special bonuses like get your feather in your cap or whatever how long till they start like shaving that price just a little bit i mean playstation plus they're gonna shave like 10 percent off your price or even like two bucks off a downloadable thing like that is a tangible reason to go digital to buy to make the, those price points to, to erode that or would we get less of a game like would we get more metal gear solid ground zeroes type experiences where yeah it's a little cheaper but it's mm-hmm. also two hours you can replay it and you know wait for the next part of this experience which is going to be phantom pain which will never come out because it's too big and is that is that the future <laughs> of say bioshock a 15-man team can make two chapters of bioshock and then release it and then make two more chapters and release it and then mm-hmm. two more chapters and then release it 
do you have these ongoing seasons? I mean, we already have sort of the season-based mentality going with Telltale has had oh, yeah. great success with them. Already the season pass thing is in place for DLC. There's also Valve is great with their episodic content. <laughs> I mean, but you know, if you there are there are lots of you know lots of teams experimenting with that kind of content, and I think that you're ju- as you see as this digital you know future is comes more and more upon us. I think the articulation of price points is only going to get more diverse as people try to find ways to entice you to, to to pay for that game i guess that's the, that's the question that that's been haunting i mean because it's price points is scary because free to play is often bad um <laughs> it is it is often bad is not not always league of legends does it well go to two does it well 50 60 games are often bad 50 60 games are also often bad because they spend so much money on like look at how good this game looks, and then you're getting a game that's seven hours long. You're getting mm-hmm. a game that's reliant on other people to make it fun because yeah. it's all multiplayer. So how do you think pricing will change when like, all of a sudden everything is equal, every game is on every platform, and it's just a pure meritocracy, and that is it? Like, Will we still see Dungeon Keeper on mo- mobile-type business plans? Will we still see the $60 games? Well, I mean, I feel like I'm going back on what I said before. Like, n- not every game is going to be on every platform. And I, yeah. I think there will always be a Nintendo. Like, Okay. There will always be a, a gatekeeper like them who wants a very specialized experience and will try to provide, the, the for them, the purest way to experience it. Do you think, do you think Nintendo, because if Nintendo is still struggling to sell, do you think that they can keep doing that as opposed to, like, we're going to release our games for a $900 million or $900 million person audience. Well, I mean, they just, they, Nintendo is very willing to experiment. And yeah. we've seen sometimes they're successful, like with the Wii. Sometimes they're not successful with the Wii U. Yep. But they're still really, really successful with the 3DS. Their handhelds are selling like gangbusters. I mean, to say that they're not doing well is to completely ignore the, the 3DS. Um, it's Things like the Wii U, like maybe they they will probably move away from doing stuff like that if the next iteration of this is a failure. But I, I think they'll, we'll always have companies that like to to experiment and to push the boundaries of of how we interact with that hardware. And we will also always have companies that are holding on to their games and this is the only way you can get their content because we've already seen, I mean, we see this playing out already with content battles in the TV realm. You know, mm-hmm. CBS is there. You you're you know you're only watching like very few of their shows on Hulu or on Netflix. Yeah. Mostly you got to go through CBS.com. Uh, that's why Amazon and Netflix and Hulu have all sunk millions and millions of dollars into creating their own original content because there's this belief there's this belief that you know you can like but creating the content, owning it, syndicating it. That's where like. That's the most profitable endeavor. That's where you really have power is if you're creating that content, not just if you're distributing that content. So, you know, in this sort of future of, you know, the this breakdown of like you need this specific box to play this thing, you're still you're going to need this subscription to Xbox Live to play this thing because those companies are always going to hold on to something. Yeah, to something and not just try to throw it all out there and yeah. may the best game win. So I, maybe eventually the hardware will kind of disappear but the then in its place will rise up PlayStation now basically. Or will the hardware become part of our clothing and we have to get into our gaming suits oh, you and put that. on our gaming hats. Strap on the Oculus, strap on, strap on all the of the things and mm-hmm. the the insertion things yeah. and the external 
fluid catching things. Yep. And so that's how you experience the hardware. It's all going to be in your phone. It's all going to be in your phone. It comes out from under the TV, <laughs> goes into your spinal cord, and you just like. That would be pretty fun. <laughs> I like the last part especially. I don't want to have to move. So finally, uh, what, what do you think Amazon's chances are to even compete in the console space? I, well, I mean, they have an uphill battle coming coming <laughs> to to gamers who who are already so jaded about the the heavyweights about the Microsoft and, and Sony. Having a contender that I mean, when, when I think about it, I think ooh yeah, and that's not a. That's not a great comparison Though, to start off with. Amazon's a little bigger, more trusted than Ouya. Chris, do you have any? Sure, but like, what uh, did they even want to compete against an a Xbox One or a PlayStation Four? I mean, this the set top box that's been rumored and is going to be coming out pretty soon. Probably is, just like you said, it's a Roku competitor, it's an Apple TV competitor. Yep, that market is already saturated. Like there are just straight yeah. up TVs that do that stuff, and you don't even have to buy that box. Like, yep, I don't. I mean, obviously the name Amazon has super brand power, but but how much power does it really have? Because I watch Amazon video through my Xbox One. I could watch it through any number of things that I already have. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm down with the service and with buying stuff from them, but do but it's a whole different leap to do I invest in that hardware? Because then that hardware has to have a value proposition that's distinct from what I already have. I yeah, I mean, they're trying to play catch up. They're coming at the at the tail end of this. It, it feels like like the, that race is already run, and they're about halfway to the finish line. And it feels like you're oh you know you're, I'm gonna come and catch up. I I can, I can get you guys. So they kind of did that too with the with the iPad and the other Android tablets, and the Kindle Fire is done really well. So, I mean, it is possible to, to be the latecomer and still have a success. True. But also, you know, the tablet market and people's, like, fervor for tablets. They throw them out every year. They, right in yeah. the garbage. <laughs> then they get a new one. That's, I mean, that kind of technophile, that kind of, like, product lust and appetite, I feel like has been growing exponentially in recent years. Whereas, you know, Roku's stuff to stream this stuff is not, like, people want to have it, but it's not, like, the sexy thing. To get, no, no. Okay. Know? And, and it is they they introduced a more powerful tablet that's cheaper. Um, that that is a really uh, appealing proposition. Plus, for, it's called the Fire. Yeah, which is a great. Name. It's Kindle. It comes from the Kindle. And it's Fire, and I really like my Kindle. So there's one other like story that I thought was interesting this week. Other people might not. Twitch plays Pokemon. Boring. Sorry. So this was <laughs> this is basically like someone figured out a way to stream Pokemon Red. And then the users in the chat would type in, you know, left or right or whatever control they A, wanted B. the protagonist yeah. to do, and that the protagonist would do it. And so you have eighty thousand plus people at once trying to control Putting a their fingers game. on the controller, getting their inputs. Their cheeto paws all over and it. And it's just madness. Well, why would you? It went up to hundred twenty thousand people. Hundred twenty thousand concurrent oh. users went on. It's been going for nine straight days. It is. It is a phenomenon that will probably burn out really quickly. Well, what do you mean really quickly? It's been going on for a week. Um, that's 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 keeping that's, long, that's long longer than Flappy Bird was. That's longer than some of um, my relationships. So, what is it that <laughs> is appealing about this, Justin? Do you have any idea? I was so surprised when I first saw this and and I heard about it. I was like, oh yeah, that's kind of funny. And it's so frustrating to watch because it's just like this spastic, like I'm move no back and forth. Open. I need to look at the helix fossil. Like there's a religion <laughs> that's grown up around the observing the helix fossil. Like there are people in the chat who are just like all oh, praise the helix base yeah, can god. You, can you talk about that? Because I don't I don't think most people know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's it, there's so many facets of this craziness. So I mean, it started off with just. People trying to fight to move their character and to win the game, but you, of course, you have people who 
are anarchists who want to watch this game burn. Poker trolls. And, and so, of course, you know, one of the items that they collected was the Helix Fossil. Of course, they're never going to be able to use it because that would take a weird coordinated effort. So, the Helix Fossil, you go to a specific point in the game and you use it to resurrect some kind of like, like fossil ancient, Pokemon. Yeah. And, and so people have built up in an internet religion. What is it now? 75,000 people... Some of them have an internet religion around the Helix Fossil as their god, and they some of the Pokemon are their prophets. Uh, and uh, Jay Leno and and Abby are the prophets who died in in trying to to save the world. There's a false prophet Pokemon in the party now. There's the whole democracy versus anarchy mechanic, which basically like. If it, the slider goes to democracy, then the majority vote will carry. But if it goes to anarchy, then every single vote carries. And democracy pretty much never is in effect. It is almost always anarchy. Yeah. So, Chris, I mean, you know you know about this because you read my editorial and you've I, listened to Justin and I talk about it. Yes. Is there anything that sounds interesting about this to you? I think it's like, it's like you could be part of a hive mind. Right, like imagine yourself. That's in your one goal. Of these it's like the buggers and Ender's game. Yeah, it's like imagine yourself in one of these futuristic societies, dystopian places where you know you're you're plugged into whatever external brain that your brain becomes a part of. You know, like it's you're all directly you're part of this like soup that is pulling together to like accomplish something very concrete, <laughs> the zeitgeist, and very specific. The zeitgeist. Yeah, the zeitgeist. I think it's. Just fascinating to me to think about these, the God, just like the way that this mass of humanity could come together and the way these different agendas pop up. It's like it's a whole like little feudal kingdom spring up. I mean, this this is fascinating microcosm of community involvement of, you know, like saboteurs and white knights. And it's just this crazy drama is playing out with ups, downs, A's, B's, democracies, anarchies and I think it's fascinating. I think it's like you can't like look directly at it. Like no. you got to like look at it through your <laughs> yes. peripheral vision or something like that. Because if you stare directly into Twitch Plays Pokemon, you will go mad. It's like the Ark of the Covenant. So I mean, as Justin was talking about before, like people are there's religions that are forming, and basically the appeal, as far as I can understand, is it's emergence narratives, yeah. and people are kind of creating their own stories. Totally. So I guess my question is, can a developer? make something like this or does it have to be something that's wholly organic and made by the people but they in already their own did thing? didn't they like, how, what was how did like, people I, I feel like this is just this whole thing is just a test for that thing that the twitch integration to troll player what's that what's the game that's doing that are you talking about tetris no no, no. there's that game that's coming out that has like the if you're streaming the game twitch chat can troll you they can make stuff happen that's a in the thing game. i feel like this whole okay. pokemon thing is a test for that huh so, I mean, I That's guess... Benito, by the way, folks. He's the engineer for our podcast Benito here. Gonzalez is, is dropping the knowledge bomb. So, I guess, so is, is it possible... I mean, if you take away, like, the trolling aspect, is it possible for a developer to actually make this kind of thing? To harness Like, this? the emergent gameplay as- or emergent narratives of this? Because it, it seems... I don't know. I mean, people say, like, oh, you, you could never make something purposefully go viral. But no, no, there are totally people who construct oh, yeah. viral things. Like Twitch has got my back. The game is Daylight. Daylight. <laughs> Daylight, thank you, Twitch. So, so yeah, I mean, people could construct something like this purposefully, but I, I think it's more seeing what people are into. Like, it's not just Twitch, but I, the same thing that we saw with Flappy Bird, this kind of very, very normal game, very what would seem to, to most of us to be very boring, but a whole narrative sprung up around it that we want to be a part of. We want this kind of quirky and, and different 
conflict that, that we can feel like we're a part of and, and interact with. And, I mean, we don't get that from regular AAA games. But this kind of feels like the real world that, that we all have a part in, that gamers are, are really a part of. So do you, do you agree with that, Chris, that we don't have that in our AAA games? That we don't have, what, that kind of... Com- that kind of emergent narrative or that kind of community? That kind of community fascination. I mean, you know, you get like blips of it, like different shades of it in like a Demon Souls or a Dark Souls where you have that community stuff people writing down and coming into your game to troll you, stuff that's out of your control, right? Uh, I think that this, I'm trying to, you know, because I'm trying to imagine a game in which you would harness just a random like group of people be in like a very low functioning role but then you the player so like let's say like there's GTA. a let's say there's a battle game and these are and like these giant warships are at, at battle but like and you're the commander and like it's not quite like like the trickle down in like the systems and that you know, the guns your your ship develops or the moves you make are in some way you know, determined by this chat melee of people, and you have well, to like, almost what... work the best that you can with what they've provided you, or something. I mean, how? Yeah. Well, like, think about you... the way that uh, Eve was integrated with Dust Five Fourteen. Yeah. Um, and that you kind of recruited people, and in, in Dust you recruited people, and Eve people recruited Dust people to fight these wars. Yep. But they, it was kind of like they didn't have any direct control, so it is almost like that. In a, in yeah, a sense. so that seems like too many layers of abstraction, right? There's the a lot the, the appeal of Twitch plays Pokemon is it's right there, yes. and it's like instant. Everyone, you know, everyone is has equal opportunity of influencing it. You know, can can tip, can like put their little finger on the scale and see what happens. And what happens here is like. You know, it translates in a very clear way, in a way that's easy to understand. Uh, so I think I don't know about easy to understand. Ooh. I don't. Have you watched it? Because it's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy. Like if I didn't have the Cliss Notes next to me, I wouldn't know what was going on. What was, sure. Yes. So do you, do you guys yeah, think? Yeah, that's a good point. Do you guys think this is a fad, or do you think this is something that in some form will carry on for the future? Twitch plays Pokemon is a fad. Yeah, it's going to. It's going to peter out, of course. Sure. Well, there I'm will be about some more... diehard people continuing to do it like years from Well, not now, just Twitch but... plays Pokemon. I'm talking about like, will we see games in some form like this in the future? Or is this kind of like... I think uh, no. I don't, I, want, I don't want to swear, but it's a cluster no, something. I think no good idea. One of the things that I love about the game industry is you have these good ideas, these, these little mechanics, these innovations that come into play. And... You know, maybe they don't catch on in a big way. It's not like, oh, the, that stick-to-cover system. Oh, yeah, we're going to go. Hell, everyone's going to use that. But they're sort of in the mix. And so developers are – they sort of enter the soup of what developers are thinking of in terms of ways they can make games. And I think now that this is like a landmark in terms of uh, community interaction, pulling together, and, and just creating its own little vibrant little nexus of play mm-hmm. – that's not going to go ignored by game developers. A T3HHH in chat also brought up Salty Bet, which is kind of... The Salty thing. Bet Salty was Bet. amazing. Salty Bet was you watched um, two fighters, two really crazy fighters on Twitch fighting. They were AI controlled and you bet on who would win. Mm-hmm. It'd be like Ryu versus like Mr. Kool-Aid or something like that. And it was, yeah. you know, it was really fun for a while. And so, yeah, you get into these narratives of like, oh, Barney's back. Oh, it's going to go know. down. Or like, always bet on Dragon Ball Z yeah, characters. We like, had that one. <laughs> and so, you know, like this this is a phenomenon that so many people, it, it has this vibrancy in this life. Uh, the Twitch community that, you know, sort of gathers around this stuff. 
that no, that's definitely not going away. And it'll definitely be interesting to see, you know, who the spiritual successors are to Twitch plays Pokemon or, you know, what the next more ambitious Twitch plays game is going to be because you but know there's going to be more. It is the kind of thing that would be really hard for a company to monetize, though. Like, how are you going to make money from this? And like, Ads? Is, is that enough? I don't know. 50000 a day for Flappy Bird, so I had to do something. I guess so. Okay, so we're going to wrap that up, and we're going to play a game before we end the show. All right. So you guys have to Is take a card. Bird? Just take one card each. Don't look at it. So we're doing uh, metagame. Metagame is kind of, what is it, like apples to apples? Is that a comparison? Did you say don't Not look really. at it or look at it? Don't look at it. Don't look so at it. So I handed them both a card, and the card has a game name on it, like Super Mario Brothers. And I'm going to give them a category, and they have to... On the spot, think of something that fits within this category and argue it and make it interesting. Can I, have a, I looked at my card. So if the one? question is, uh, which game is more overrated, Justin and I both have to argue that our game is more overrated. Yeah, you'd just be like, oh, because Halo is just a bunch of driving around warhogs. And you'd yeah. be like, oh, but Call of Duty is just shooting dudes. And Like, you'd have to make that argument. But you don't have Whether to make it a dumb we believe it. Okay, so Chris, Hello. what you have to do with your card, you're going first. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is... We have to do the same thing for both our cards. Yes, but okay. you're going first. Okay, he's cool. gonna go first. So, right. so what you're gonna do is you're gonna make a sequel to that game yep. that offers an in-depth psychological analysis of the player. Of the player. <laughs> yes. All right. Yes. Can I look at my card now? Just look at it right now, and then start start wooing us for the next minute. I can see it. Damn it! What am I not supposed to see it? Oh, this is the worst. Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, a sequel to Metal Gear Solid that offers an... In Didn't they already do that? <laughs> uh, all right. So in Metal Gear Solid, uh, the, the Ocho, it's the eighth in the uh, Metal Gear Solid series, the player starts off uh, in just like a, a normal suburban home. Uh, it, it's like it, as like a really old dude. The the kids are sort of walking around the family. You're Snake, and he's a grandpa, and he's settled down in Pleasantville. And uh, as you sort of go about your daily life, you know you're it's a, you have these sort of Mass Effect style conversations, conversation trees. Uh, you know you can go around the neighborhood. You can't go too far because like your body's been through it, man. And so, but it, you know you go through it, and the people you're talking to aren't you know they at first they start off and it sort of seems like normal dialogue but then you know sometimes they their questions get a little bit probing this seems to be kind of a a neighborhood in which people are more given to pontificating or to uh to <laughs> pondering the big questions and then you know it's really the whatever clothes you have chosen to wear when you have those conversations d determines what kind of person you are oh <laughs> That was a twist at the end. It was nice. It was a very Shyamalan twist. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Justin, the same question is for you. You have a different game, though. What, what was the question? The question is you have to make a sequel, something in this universe, that offers an in-depth psychological analysis. That offers an in-depth psychological analysis. Of the player. Of the player, yes. So, funny that you should mention a Mass Effect-style dialogue tree, because my game is my Mass Effect. Oh, look at that. <laughs> um. So... Does that mean I just win? Because no, no, no. It's, it has nothing to do with the game you have. It is all about the story that you construct. So the sequel to, to Mass Effect is actually a, a prequel. It's set on Earth. And it, it follows the same Mass Effect gameplay style, except that there are no battles. There is only conversation that you can have with people. And, and the, the conversation choices that, that you make as you go along, affect the ending. So there are one of 50 endings listed on the box, but they're all pretty much the same, <laughs> except that the characters that you've interacted with will show up in different parts of the screen. 
Um, and it, it, so it uses cameras <laughs> and it uses Connect or the PlayStation camera uh, to judge. You, you have to speak out all of your your narrative choices. Okay. And it, oh, yeah. it gives now you a talking. graph that that shows you by at the end of the game, it tells you the tone of voice that you used and whether you were kind or or mean or or an idiot based on how you talked. Um, and, and that's that's how this Mass Effect prequel will work. But it's set on Earth, and all of the choices that you make will will retcon into the. Uh, <laughs> future Mass Effect series. Nice. So if you go back and you play Mass Effect 1, um, all of the choices that you made in Mass Effect, the prequel, which is Mass Effect 4, will will have changed. Yeah, you just download a small patch. Yeah, it's a small right patch, down. and it, it changes the entire game. So take one more card each. So both of you chose just answering questions, walking around and, and answering questions, which is certainly work. Hey, man. Certainly work. No, it's talking. My, mine was about communicating. Communicating, okay. Um, so the next fancy. one, and Justin's going first this time. Uh, your game, your sequel in this universe, examines a divisive current event. <laughs> a, device, a divisive current event through uh, the no, through the lens of through the lens of Super Meat Boy. Oh, this will be fun. Okay, cat. so where are we going with here? A divisive current event. I I don't actually want to do something too serious like Kiev because that's sad. And I don't uh, think there's a divisive. I guess technically it would be a civil war, but a divisive <laughs> current event would be the uh, seems like there's the side for not fighting is a good side. Yes. Uh, the Olympics. Okay. And you had Canada versus America today on on the the hockey game. So how is this going to work in Super Meat Boy? So Super Meat Boy um, is a hockey player in this game. It's still a two D sky side scroller. So you might think that as a hockey game, it's it's pretty easy. Um, <laughs> but you have the the Canadians and the American. You have to choose which character is going to uh, or which team is going to win by. Uh, sliding your your body meatily into the into the goal, and the more times that you choose, you, it, it's not a fun game. I mean, you're just gonna be f- doing this over and over again. You <laughs> just you just play. Ice is just gonna be stained red. It's like it it, it lasts as long as a hockey game, which I think is roughly ten to twelve hours. And, <laughs> and you have to you have to continuously take your character and put him into the goal for that entire t- entire duration. If you stop a- at any moment, uh, the game resets and nobody wins. So you want to make sure that that your team wins, which is either America or Canada, and and the results after you after you do this go onto a um, a leaderboard, uh, which will decide the actual winner of hockey in the Olympics. That that is a, a quite a way to examine a political issue. Sliding meat into a goal. I would like, to, I would like to play that game. <laughs> you, Benito is signed up. Down. He's he's gonna kickstart your uh, your idea. All right, uh, my game. <laughs> Uh, you love you love holding it up to the camera. I don't know what that is. Is it really? It is your favorite game ever. Oh, it's my favorite game ever. <laughs> so, what is the political divisive event that you are going to tackle? Well, uh, as we all know, uh, the issue of gay marriage is hugely divisive in not only the United States of America but around the world, and gay rights. Uh, continue to be a, a subject that uh, is a battleground politically and uh, morally, spiritually, etc., <laughs> etc. Et uh, so, in the sequel to Spelunky, uh, you aren't delving into caves. You are an above-ground adventurer going through societies across the world. And uh, the early levels are fairly straightforward. You go into Salt Lake City, Utah, a city in a, a largely conservative state that is actually fairly progressive. And 
the people you encounter, uh, hmm. Do you whip them? <laughs> Do you whip them? So there's got to be creatures, right? So in any th- these urban environments are a little bit uh, outlandish. There are still there are rats running around. You know there are, there are garbage can treasure chests for you to loot uh, as you try to survive. Are there? But moments? occasionally, you know, the instead of having shopkeepers, uh, they have uh, political rallies that you'll come across. And so whether you know how you behave yourself in that rally, sort of d- in influences like you know are you picking up a sign that says it's adam and eve not adam and steve or are you on the side of one you know one love for all mankind tougher levels take you into uh more uh divisive areas uh the the final secret hell level is nigeria uh where you have to actually go in and you know be a gay rights activist in there without getting uh lynched or hacked up with a machete uh, no one has beaten it yet. They could have a uh, cool costume, despite multiple multiple live streamers spending hours and hours trying to do it. Okay, that was pretty interesting. Take one more card. Um, <laughs> that was that got dark in a hurry. Hey man, you said so, divisive. Chris, you're going to the last one. Okay. Um, your sequel is going to be the top story on Fox News for an entire day. Ooh, what does your entire, game do? An entire eight segments of the news cycle. Everybody's going to be really angry about this. Everyone is in a huge furore because of Rogue Two. Can you guys see the art? <laughs> what the art heck screen? is Rogue Two? Oh, well, you know how there are games that are roguelikes, Tom? Yes. Rogue, oh, Rogue, Rogue is yeah. the original roguelike. Okay. <laughs> so just called What Rogue. is the sequel doing that's getting it on Fox News? Oh. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's... Uh, actually, uh, an ultra-liberal propaganda piece, pro-choice, uh, and in the beginning of it, you play as a tiny fetus and must battle your way down the fallopian tube past all sorts of morning-after pills and other darker obstacles in order to be born into the world, and then, and then, y- you... Wait, which one was it? It was pro light, pro choice. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, you got to get. I lost it. No, no. It's. I think I should have done it the other way around. Yeah, yeah. You got to get. Uh, it's just really difficult. You could die very instantly because you're a little fetus. Uh, and you just have to make your way in the world and clothe yourself in garbage rags. Or else be uh, shot by people who, oh you know, other fetuses that have guns because gun control is non-existent. And, uh, you know, if, if uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if Fox it. News is leading with this. Out. Justin, what, do you, what, do you, what is your game? What do you, what do you do when this is going to lead Fox News? So the, the lead of Fox News, I have to, do I use this game? <laughs> what is it? I have Scribulus. Oh Scrabulous. my god, I cannot wait to see this this description. Which I'm calling Scrabble because I don't know what Scrabble this is. That sounds like a stupid game. Scrabble's fine. So, uh <laughs> it's Scrabble. Scrabble 2. Scrabble 2. The Fox News learns about uh, an estranged killer. He breaks into a preschool, kills everybody. Uh they go through his home and She's and of course murder. mixed among the guns <laughs> and used condoms and lubricants and all of the weird ephemera. They they find multiple copies of Scrabble Two just laying about <laughs> all over his apartment, and, and they discover through their investigative reporting 
that you can spell words like Hitler, <laughs> like death, <laughs> like guns. And guns. And, and they see these Scrabble games laid out with all of these words spelled out. And, and it, I mean, it takes the news cycle. There's a breaking story about 12 hours in where they, they find out that you can actually put together sentences that, <laughs> no! using the using these no, tiles. And they, they find in his apartment that he has spelled out um, Hitler, uh, Nerf, and uh, Grandma. Oh. Which they, they take to mean that there was probably some incest. That, uh... Wow. So I wasn't going to choose a winner, but I'm going to choose a winner because that last one was pretty great. That one was good. That was good. <laughs> Uh, Real good. But that's it for the show. Uh, it's just, we're doing a short one today, so that's it. Uh, it thank you, it. thank you, Justin, so much for playing along. Thank you, Thomas, offering some interesting ideas. On, I'm glad uh, we didn't have to leave you alone. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Chris Waters. Is that a Thomas was alone? Joke? It was Thomas was alone I joke. I found me. <laughs> I'm the worst. So do we all, Justin. Uh, thanks, Tom. That was fun. Thank that was you. A nice little uh, podcast thingy. And Yay. thank you so much to Benito, who is the is the man behind the camera, who knows things such as daylight and other facts that we had no idea about. Who's much smarter than all of us combined. Uh, so and yeah. Handsomer. Thank you so much for watching. Uh, next week, hopefully, Ken Van Ord is back. Have a good uh, one. Oh, please, please. <laughs> <laughs>